Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever. Dr. Will Bulsowitz, also known as Dr. B, is an award-winning, internationally recognized gut health expert and the New York Times best-selling author of Fiber-Fueled and the Fiber-Fueled Cookbook. Among his many, many accomplishments, he's presented to Congress, he's presented to the USDA, and he's taught over 10,000 students how to heal and optimize their gut health. Listen in on how this incredible doctor uses his gut to choose himself. Dr. B, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. There are so many people that struggle and absolutely suffer with all sorts of GI issues. And there are so many things we could talk about. It could be very, very complex. So I'm very grateful and excited to have you here, especially since I have been shouting off the rooftops about fiber for almost two decades that it could save the world. And I feel like with you, I have finally found my people. <laughs> We're, we are like siblings reunited here. Um, yeah, no, I don't get it either to be honest with you, like how, how is it possible that something that could be so essential, so relevant to our health, how it could it be overlooked? I don't really understand, but yet somehow it is. You open your new book, which I highly recommend. I can't wait to try every recipe in there. And it's so full of information. It's called, of course, the Fiber Fueled Cookbook. And you have this gorgeous idea in the opening that states, on a planet with 8 billion souls, no two of us have the same gut microbes. With our individuality in mind, I expect you to make this book your own. You could think of it as your sort of choose your own adventure for gut health. Can you explain the complexity of our gut microbiome? Well, you know, it's such an exciting time, first of all, because the discovery that's taking place in this space is changing the way that we think about human health, about medicine, about biology, even sort of our role or place within the planet. And uh, 20 years ago, when I started my medical career, we knew nothing about this. So there, there is complexity to this. You know, there's no doubt about that. The science can get quite complicated. The tools and techniques that we use to measure it are complicated. But at the same time, the solutions are like actually quite simple. And that's one of the really exciting things that exists is that even though this is a complicated topic and even though science can get so complex at times, we can boil it down to simple solutions that can be applied to all of us. So even though we're all unique, I, here's, I think, the bottom line, ultimately, I accept and acknowledge that we're we're all different and unique. You and I, Juliana, we may we may consume a dietary pattern that people may apply a label to and call it the same diet. You and I are not eating the same diet. We're eating very different food. And I have certain foods that I love that you might not particularly care for and, and vice versa. We're all trying to find what works best for us. And what I want to help people is I want to give them the rules that they need to apply to their own life and find what works for them, but at the same time, that doesn't require them to make compromises and can in fact empower better health, yet bring them just as much, if not more joy. 
I love that. So we have this microbiome and we're learning more about it every day. I always say it's like we're at the tip of the iceberg for what we're learning and it's really exciting. But ultimately, you know, a lot of people agree that we need to diversify our microbiome. And and can you talk a little bit about like, well, what is a microbiome really? And why are we so unique individually? Like what, because there's all these different contributions to the complexity of our individual microbiomes, right? Yeah, so we have to start start by just painting the picture of what is the microbiome, how does it work, what is its role, and what are the things that affect it. And so the microbiome is a community of microorganisms, living creatures. They are as alive as you and I are. Uh, it's, they're, they're a challenge for us to wrap our minds around as humans because we're such visual creatures. We, we like to see what we're talking about. And these microbes we can't see them with the naked eye, but if I gave you a microscope, you could zoom in and you would see them. And they're they're everywhere. They're covering all external parts of your body. So like they're on your head, on your skin, in your mouth, in your nose. Believe it or not, your eyeball has a microbiome. I didn't know that. Yeah, actually some, some of the um, eye-related medical conditions are associated with a loss of diversity within the eye microbiome, believe it or not. Whoa. So yeah, like if, if I were an ophthalmologist, I wouldn't be here talking about the gut microbiome. I'd be here talking about the four different microbes in the eye. So, but anyway, it's not a very diverse ecosystem in the eyeball, but there is, there are microbes, they're there and the diversity does matter. Um, but the area where we find the, the largest concentration of microbes is actually inside of our intestines, specifically our colon, which is the large intestine. In that place, you will find 38 trillion microbes. Now, this number is completely overwhelming. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around 38 trillion. Like, what does that look like? So I'm going to do my best to try to put this into perspective. Awesome. If you were, there was the recent um, uh, advance with the telescope where they were able to like see these far off galaxies. And it's so exciting. My wife has been fascinated showing me these photos of these far off galaxies. Okay, so let's take one galaxy which is ours, the Milky Way. And in our galaxy, there are about 100 billion stars. So if I were to take all of the stars that exist within our one galaxy and put them inside a person's colon, their intestine, I would actually need 380 galaxies full of stars that I would insert into a person's intestine to meet the number of microbes that are in there literally right now as we sit here and speak. And these microbes, they are there with a purpose. Uh, they're not just kind of hanging on. They're not uh, what we would describe as parasitic, just like taking, but instead they're giving. They're there to give. They're there to support. They're a part of who we are in our essence as humans. And um, through human evolution, if you think about it, like people love to do like sort of evolutionary history and, and somehow, you know, sort of use their ideas from human evolution to tap into uh, nutritional concepts. Well, if you think about human evolution, human evolution never for a single moment was in isolation. Every single, every single human throughout human history, every single moment in human history included these microbes. The very first human had a microbiome and we evolved together with them and during that process of evolution over the 3 million or so years, we really grew to trust them. Uh, I think what sort of happened from an evolutionary perspective, not a conscious choice, but just kind of, you know, what happened 
is that we discovered that there were certain things that these microbes do much better than we do as humans. And as a result of that, we, we grew to trust them with specific parts of our physiology. We, we rely on them for this, for our digestion, our metabolism, our immune system, our hormones, our mood, our brain health, the expression of our genetic code, our energy levels. This is powerful. Now, I'm not here saying to the listener, the only thing that matters is your microbiome. That's not the argument. What I'm saying is these microbes are a part of the story. And to ignore them is to neglect one of the most powerful features of human health. And it's fascinating to consider the possibility that maybe the most important part of being a healthy human is actually the part of us that's not even human. It's these microbes. Right. It's amazing. Can you talk about why we want to diversify it? How do we create a really healthy, optimal microbiome? I know it's a big question, but if you could summarize it. We have found that there's at least hundreds, if not thousands of species of microbes that are a part of us. And these species, they're as unique as we are as individuals. We all have different skills, different things that we're good at, different personalities, different we have different dietary preferences. These microbes are just like us. They're, they're really not any different. Different microbes have different skills. Different microbes have different dietary preferences. And if we want a healthy microbiome, we want representation from all of the microbes. Because when we have a wider variety of microbes, then you have that wider variety of skill sets. And basically what you're doing is establishing a more functional, more dynamic, more resilient microbiome. And so how do we accomplish that? Well, the way that we do is by tapping into the fact that these microbes, they have specific dietary preferences. They don't all eat the same thing. It's not just generic grams of fiber. It's far more complicated than that. They have different dietary preferences. They like specific plants. So like certain microbes love black beans and other ones are going to enjoy kale. And when you eat both kale and black beans, they all get to eat. So ultimately, the principle becomes that we want diversity within our gut. And if we want diversity within our gut, we should eat a wide variety of different plant foods because plants ultimately are the preferred food of these microbes. And uh, this is more than just sort of a concept that's interesting. This is actually scientifically validated. In fact, not just with one study, but multiple studies at this point have actually supported this idea. But the biggest one, and the one that we typically talk about is called the American Gut Project, which uh, was more than just Americans. It was a global project, international, and involved more than 11,000 people who submitted a microbiome specimen and filled out information about their diet and lifestyle choices. And when they performed their analysis, they discovered that there were certain people that had a healthier microbiome than others. The people with the healthiest microbiomes were the people who were eating the widest variety of plants. And specifically in the study, it was the people who were eating at least 30 different varieties of plants who had the healthiest guts. So, you know, to me, this is an important concept because our food system actually doesn't want to support this. You know, our food system says you should eat corn and soy and wheat and basically nothing else. Um, or our supermarket only has like certain basic varieties that it will offer us. 
So ultimately, it becomes our personal choice that needs to motivate us towards moving uh, towards a more a more varied, a more diverse dietary preference. And so ultimately, like I, I want to, you know, again, I said in the beginning, uh, the microbiome science may be complicated, but here's your solution. This is not complicated. Eat more varieties of plants, period. Love it. That's such a great way to say it. And I love to simplify all of this because it can get super complicated and it doesn't need to be when it comes to the day-to-day. So I appreciate the way you do that. You do that really well on social media too. And I've been become a, quite a fan. I would love, there's a million things I want to ask you about, but we have only a few minutes. So I wanted to ask you about, can you explain the intersection between the immune system, since it's more relevant right now, it's always relevant, but it's particularly relevant right now, and uh, the microbiome? So the microbiome, first of all, is not a part of our body, which is very bizarre because I'm describing it as being principally focused inside of your colon. But believe it or not, the inside of your colon or the inside of your intestine is actually external to your body because it is a hollow tube and it is continuous tube. And so basically like if you follow it from your mouth all the way through to the bottom, there's never an opportunity for it to enter into your body. It's just external to your body, even though it is your bowels. I I realize this sounds completely bizarre, but the reason why this becomes very important is if we're talking about the immune system, Outside your body, inside your colon, are the microbes. And there is this layer of cells called the epithelial layer, which separates this area where the microbiome exists from the other side, which is inside your body, where the immune system exists. It turns out that 70% of our immune system exists within the lining of our digestive system. It's called the, the GALT, G-A-L-T, gut-associated lymphoid tissue. And so if you're asking like, where does our immune system exist? Well, this is it. It's principally in the lining of your gut. The reason why it's there actually makes a ton of sense. Your gut is where you interface with the outside world. Like your skin, we would think, oh, well, your skin, you're touching everything. No, your skin is a wall. Your skin is a barrier. You're not looking to actually absorb. You may absorb some stuff through your skin, but you're not looking to do that. Whereas your gut, this is a protected space where you are interacting with the food choices that you've made and making your body is making decisions about what it's going to absorb versus not absorb. So this is why your, your immune system shows up in this location. And this separation that exists, it's not like, a, like an intense separation between the two. It's more like a rickety fence. On one side, you have the gut microbes. They're having a party. And on the other side of this rickety fence, there's a house party over there too. It's with the immune system. These two parties are riffing off of each other. They're sharing the same vibes. They're sharing the same energy. You can hear the same music. Maybe people are passing stuff back and forth across the fence, right? So that's the way that the body works. Your gut and these microbes are in contact with these immune cells constantly, shaping it, forming it, affecting how uh, efficient it is at you know identifying things that need to go versus being permissive and allowing things to stay. And we want our immune system to serve that purpose of when it identifies something that's got that's got to go, we want it to be targeted and precise and accurate and to remove those threats. 
And on the flip side, we also want an immune system that's not going to overreact and not going to attack things that it shouldn't be attacking. Oh, that's a perfect segue. Okay. When I grew up, my dad had a horrible nut. He still has a horrible nut allergy. And we used to have to go to restaurants and be very, very clear. No, my dad has a real, like he can't have any nuts. And no one had really, you know, allergies were not a big thing, but now they're everywhere. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on maybe hypothesizing on why. I know there's a lot of theories out there, but um, do you have any thoughts about why it's become so prevalent now? Okay, so a couple of things. First of all, to define for the listeners at home, I know that you know this, Juliana, but an allergy basically is a response of your immune system to something that is foreign to your body. So it could be seasonal allergies where it's a response to pollen. It could be a pet allergy. But in this case, we're talking about food, right? So nuts are one example of a common food that can cause an allergy. There's a a group of specific foods that are the classics. I'm going to list them right now because I want people to hear what are the classic foods before I give you my, my thoughts on what, why we're seeing more food allergies these days. Okay. The classic food allergies, the classic foods are fish, shellfish, eggs, dairy, uh, nuts, peanuts. So like tree nuts, peanuts, uh, wheat, koi, corn, soy. And I think that's, I think that's it. If I, if I forgot one, It'll come back to me, but I think that's it. So anyway, when you think about these, okay, first of all, people that have allergic diseases, if you study their gut microbiome, you will discover that typically there are changes to the gut microbiome that exist. The gut microbes are informing in the immune system. But the other thing is think about these foods that we have the allergies to. So wheat, corn, soy, peanuts, eggs, dairy products. They're the exact same foods that are the most represented in ultra-processed foods. In ultra-processed foods, we're slicing, dicing, changing them, changing their structure, mixing them with chemicals. And they get presented in a thousand different ways to our immune system and our body through these varied ultra-processed foods. And then we're surprised when our immune system is confused about what is good and what is bad. I personally think part of the story is damage to the gut microbiome, but I also think that part of the reason why we've seen these, the emergence of these food allergies to these particular foods is that these are the foods that we are uh, putting into ultra processed foods at a disproportionate rate. Right. So you say in your book that um, histamine and FODMAP intolerance are the two most important food intolerances based on your clinical experience. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So first of all, separating food intolerances from food allergies. Um, An allergy is the response of your immune system to the food. Your immune system gets activated. It goes on the attack. There are certain things that are important about this. If we go back to your dad having a nut allergy, the problem is literally any exposure to nut could trigger the immune system in that case. It could be the smallest little little whiff that he doesn't even know is there. And it could trigger a violent reaction. Yep. That's a food allergy. That's a different thing than what we're about to talk about. What we're about to talk about are food intolerances. Food intolerances are not the activation of the immune system in response to food. Instead, food intolerances come from a, have a different mechanism And most of the time, what we're talking about with food intolerances is that the body is struggling to process and digest your food. 
there can be a number of different reasons why this happens. Sometimes it's genetic. But in the case of particularly FODMAP intolerances, and to some degree histamine intolerances, which we're going to get into, in, the, in, the, in these particular cases, it involves the gut. It involves the gut microbes. Part of the issue is that we rely on our gut microbes to help us to process and digest certain elements of our food. So we have outsourced the digestion of fiber to our gut microbes. We are 0% capable of digesting and processing fiber as humans. But our gut microbes are 100% capable of doing that. So they have 100% responsibility for this aspect of digesting our food. And the issue that we run into is that if your gut is not in a healthy place, if it's not where it needs to be, if it's been injured, then it's going to struggle to process and digest your food when you're asking it to be 100% responsible for it. That's where people manifest these symptoms. So a FODMAP intolerance is essentially an extension of what I was just talking about. FODMAP is an acronym. Um, I'll spare people the nerdy details on it, but it refers to the fermentable parts of our food and they are all carbohydrates and most of them actually are prebiotic, meaning that they're actually good for our gut microbes. So it would be easy to vilify them, yet actually they're good for us. We want more of these FODMAPs, believe it or not. But it includes things like legumes or whole grains, wheat products, or garlic and onions, um, or fruits. Some people have fructose issues, so fructose is an example of one. And it does also include dairy products, which is the most common food intolerance that exists on the planet. 70% of the world cannot tolerate dairy products because they struggle with lactose. Lactose is a FODMAP. So with all of these, under the realm of FODMAPs, um, what's happening is damage to the gut microbiome that's causing you to struggle to process and digest your food. This actually is a great thing in a way. I understand that people don't feel well, so me, you know, sort of saying this is a great thing sounds a little bit uh, weird, but no, it's a great thing because your gut is adaptable. Your gut can be changed. It can be fortified. It can be made stronger. You can add functionality that you don't currently have. So if you struggle today, the reason why I'm saying this is a great thing is that it doesn't mean that this is the way that it's going to be. We can fix it. And there's a process that we can go through that allows us to do that. And that's really what my new book, The Fiberfield Cookbook, is about because I um, I knew I was going to do a cookbook, Juliana, but the thing that was really resonating with me after Fiberfields came out, my first book, is that there were so many people who reached out to me and said, Dr. B, I'm excited. I want to eat plants. I want to be fiber-fueled, but I'm struggling and I don't feel well. And I completely understand where they're coming from. And I wanted to create a solution. And that's what this book allows you to do because there's actually protocols that allow you, they're actually embedded in the book. You don't have to have these issues to do the book. You can literally just make delicious food and enjoy it. But if you are someone who has perhaps a FODMAP intolerance, the protocol allows you to not only identify and understand that FODMAP intolerance, but also gives you the strategies that you need in order to heal and move beyond it so that those foods can be brought back into your diet and eat and consumed without restriction. Um, Juliana, histamine intolerance. So 
it's an interesting topic. Uh, histamine well, before, intolerance. Before you say that, I just want to just throw in there, and I appreciate the way you explained it. I have a lot of clients, most of my clients want to be plant-based or are already plant-based, and so many of them are struggling with the FODMAP situation because it's so plant-predominant, right. and it's really hard to navigate, and that's another reason I'm so grateful for this new resource to help people have an idea of how do you do that on a plant-based diet. So thank you for creating that. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I, I think that this is a very important... So, you know, you and I, we we share the same core mission, which is that we want to help people eat more plants. It's good for their health. It's good for the planet. It's good for the animals. At the end of the day, as a gastroenterologist, like my perspective is comes from a place of this is what I've seen in my career and also the research that's emerging with the gut microbiome. This is why I'm so focused in this particular area. But if we want to help people achieve this end end goal, we have to give them the tools for them to be successful in that journey so that, that they don't divert off the path and go in a different direction. Absolutely. And so that's, that's a big part of what I was hoping to accomplish with this book is that like we can all point towards where we want people to go, but how do we actually help them on that journey towards getting there? Yes. Yes. Okay. Histamines. Thank you. Yes. So histamines, um, it's a, this is a uh, complex, this is another example of a complex topic that we can make super simple. Okay. So hear me out, everyone, as I go through this, but recognize that I'm going to boil this down and distill it into something that you can literally take action on based upon our conversation that you're listening to right now. So uh, histamine intolerance, first of all, um, histamine is not to be vilified, much like FODMAPs. Histamine is a part of our body. It, we have it, like I have histamine in my blood right now, and it is a signaling molecule that has a very relevant part to human physiology. When our body is in balance, Histamine is not a problem at all. It's when we fall out of balance, like anything else. When something is way out of balance, then we're going to manifest symptoms or issues as a result of that. And we have histamine receptors throughout our body. And you already know this, speaking to the people at home, you already know this because almost all of us have taken antihistamines like Benadryl. Benadryl is an antihistamine. Or if you take, if you have seasonal allergies, you've taken, you know, Claritin or Zyrtec or something like that. These are antihistamines. Or if you have acid reflux, perhaps you've taken Pepsid. This is an antihistamine. We have histamine receptors in our body. And there is also histamine in our food. The histamine in our food actually comes from processing by microbes. Because microbes are not just in our gut microbiome. They're not just in our colon. Microbes are everywhere. They're a ubiquitous part of nature. Microbes, like all plants, have a microbiome. All plants, whether we eat them or not, they have a microbiome. All animals have a microbiome. Bugs, the dirt, the ocean. Microbes are everywhere. The only place that you will not find microbes are the places that humans have invented chemicals to sterilize them. That's basically the only place. So uh, these microbes that are on the food, our food supply, they create histamine. That's part of sort of the life cycle of the food. And um, the foods that are classic for histamine, I'm going to name them right now, are number one, fermented foods. 
right? So no surprise, fermented foods, um, because the microbes have a lot of histamine. Fish, shellfish, uh, dairy products, especially processed or like um, fermented dairy products. Uh, these are these can all include histamine. And then in the plant space, there are four plants that are sort of classic. They are tomatoes, spinach, eggplant, and then my favorite one, which always, I mean, I hate it, but it's true, avocados. <laughs> That's really bad news. Yeah, that hurts me. <laughs> that hurts me. Yeah. Um, like every time I say it, I'm like cringing, you know, on the other side of the microphone here. So, but anyway, the, these are the classic, the classic ones. And what I want the listener to know, again, I said that I would make it simple. So let me do that right now. What I want the listener to know is that when you consume foods that contain histamine, if you have a histamine intolerance, then you can manifest symptoms throughout your entire body as a result of this high histamine exposure. So I'm going to list these symptoms and the responsibility of the listener at home is to ask themselves the question, do I have at least two, if not more of these symptoms? All right. And yes, they include digestive symptoms. The classic symptom for histamine intolerance is gas and bloating, but it could also be abdominal discomfort, cramping, uh, nausea, acid reflux, diarrhea, constipation. So it could be digestive stuff, but then it gets outside of the digestive system. And starting at the top and moving down, it could be a headache or migraines or runny nose, sinus issues, chronic sinusitis, sore throat, cough, dry cough, rapid heartbeat, uh, lightheadedness, weakness, fatigue, insomnia, skin issues, rash, eczema, flushing. Okay. So first of all, if you answered yes to more than, you know, you have two or more of those things, well, guess what? Almost all of us probably did say yes. <laughs> These are very common symptoms. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have histamine intolerance, but if the symptoms that you said yes to are problematic and we don't have a clear explanation for why, this raises the question, could this be histamine intolerance? And if we discover that the answer is in fact, yes, yes, this is histamine intolerance. Holy cow. We have just discovered something that could really change your life in a very positive way. So it's worth exploring to see if it's there. And the problem is that in terms of exploring, uh, there's no blood test. There's no CAT scan. There's no simple way for your doctor to be like, oh yes, you do, or no, you don't have this condition. This is why your doctor is really very much out of the loop when it comes to this. You're more likely to find solutions with your dietitian than you are with your doctor. Because if you want to answer the question, do you have histamine intolerance? The way that you're going to do that is by eating a low histamine diet. And you need to do that for at least two weeks to see if your symptoms improve. But here's the exciting part. Again, I have promised simple solutions. So if you answered yes to the prior question and you're curious and you want to answer this question, do I have histamine intolerance? Here's the simple solution. This is why I put it into my new book. So in the Fiberfield cookbook, we have 26 low histamine recipes and you don't have to eat all 26. You can eat whatever ones you like, but if you eat that way for two weeks, if you stay on these 26 recipes for two weeks, then you are eating low histamine and you will be able to answer this question, do you have histamine intolerance? And if the answer is yes, 
then you are empowered with a new knowledge about what's happening with your body and how to potentially improve it. These symptoms are can be so general and the those kind of elimination diets are can be draconian, but very, very effective. I do that with clients sometimes when they just can't figure out what's going on. And you're right, like that's what we navigate. That's what a dietitian navigates with their clients. It's it's very elucidating. Um, I have so many questions for you and we have to wrap it up soon. So I want to finalize with the question I have to ask you personally, Dr. B, how do you choose you? and take care of you as you're helping the world change them? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, I am a work in progress. I am certainly not perfect, uh, despite anything that you may perceive on social media or the internet. Um, so I do my best to follow the own, the things that I preach and put out there, but I also do it in a very imperfect way. And so I myself try to value progress over perfection to be understandable to my imperfections. And, you know, I'll give you a quick example, Juliana. So uh, yesterday, I don't know why, but I felt like I had a bad day. I'll be honest with you. I felt like I had a bad day. I just was in a little bit of a funk in the afternoon. I wasn't feeling that great about myself. And so what did I do? I got myself a great night's rest. And I feel, you know, so much better and re-energized. It's amazing what a good night's rest can do for the soul. Yes. So true. Well, I can't thank you enough. I would love to have you back and keep up all of your amazing work. I'm really, really excited to connect with you and grateful for all of that wonderful, important work you're putting out there. I appreciate you having me, Juliana. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for the listeners hanging out with us today. There's so much wisdom in that episode. I'm going to listen to that several times. I absolutely love Dr. B. And one of my favorite little quotes from his first book, Fiber Fueled, I wanted to share here as a little prologue. He says, have you ever wondered why we kiss? It's actually an expression of love to share your microbiome with another person. Every time we kiss, we exchange 80 million microbes with our partner and vice versa. There's speculation that kissing may have evolved as a way of sampling a potential lover's microbiome for compatibility. Yes, we are human, but everything that we do as humans involves our microbiota one way or another, even the way we love one another. How romantic is that? If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, become a member of our Patreon page. You could find out all about the 50 Shades of Poo in this episode's Patreon, and you could find us there at patreon.com slash choose you now. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash choose you now to have access to all of the exclusive content. Please subscribe to the show if you haven't already, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with your questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.